Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, so David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. And your young men, or ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all this fellow had in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to me and to the enemies of David more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When David or Abigail saw David, she hurried, and she got down from the donkey, and she fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, O Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord, whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present 
that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and he has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dwelt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion. Blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was married within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galim. And so ends the reading of God's word. May he bless it. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, and we thank you for it. This beautiful story, would you instruct us this morning? Would you teach us wisdom? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you've watched enough uh, serial TV shows, uh, a, a show that expands upon the story from episode to episode, then you uh, expect to find a, discern a, a familiar pattern where the showrunners occasionally interject a, a, an episode that breaks from the normal development of the story arc, uh, one that may have a, a, a flashback or a, a tell a backstory or maybe introduce a new character into the narrative. And in a very real sense, what we have here in First Samuel 25 seems just that. Uh, we, the, the pursuit, Saul's pursuit of David is still ongoing, and yet it's become kind of background story as we are introduced to this wise and discerning woman Abigail, who will be David's future wife. 
but uh, with masterful and beautiful um, st- storytelling. Uh, these, these stories aren't just simply cobbled together, just thrown together. There is an intentionality, a, a common theme that the Lord is, is, is developing, even through this narrative of Abigail. Uh, in chapter 24 and 25 and 26, there are three back-to-back chapters which present a common developing theme, and that is that the Lord is training David as king. He is developing the heart of his king. In particular, he is teaching him to refrain from uh, executing his own vengeance, from avenging himself. He's teaching him to trust that the Lord will work out his glorious purposes, and until that time, to wait patiently and to show mercy. We see that uh, here in chapter 25. David is reminded of this very thing that he had learned in chapter 24, but he's reminded here in chapter 25 from a very unlikely source, this wise and beautiful woman, Abigail, this wife of a fool who will soon become David's wife. And so let's, we'll, we'll take a look at this uh, passage with some important applications throughout. Uh, we'll look at it under three basic headings. First, there is David's in, uh, wrath is incited, and then his vengeance is deferred, and finally we'll see how these actions are rewarded. But first, there is this incited wrath of David. So even though David has been on the run for all this time, being pursued by Saul, hunted down, David still found an opportunity to show good to those with whom he came into contact. We saw a few chapters ago how he and his men had gone to the Israelite town of Keilah and had saved them from the Philistines. Well, apparently also when David and his men were in the wilderness, they also found an opportunity to protect the shepherds and their sheep that he saw. And in particular, he, they protected the, the, the shepherds and the sheep of one very rich man, a man of Maon who did business in Carmel. And he was a man of wealth, great wealth. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And by this time, David and his men had gone to the wilderness of Paran, which was south of Israel. You might Remember the wilderness of Paran, that might sound familiar. That was the location where Moses and the Israelites were when they sent out the 12 spies to spy out the land of Israel, this land of milk and honey. Well, David and his men are at this point, and it is a feast day, and they are without the necessary provisions for the feast. And David happened to remember this very rich man that he and his men cared for, and so he thought perhaps... This man to whom we have shown this great kindness in protecting them, maybe he will be generous and repay the kindness to us. And he heard that this man was shearing his sheep. He was benefiting from the fruit of their protection. Not a single one of their shepherds or their sheep had been lost because of their great protection. And so he sent his ten men and to say, go in my name and say, David sends us, we are the ones who have been Uh, watching over your people. Peace be to you, peace be to your household, peace be to all that you have. A threefold blessing of peace. With a kind request, he said, please please remember that our men were in the wilderness watching over your men. We guarded them. And 
Now, you didn't lose a single person, and we ask your kindness that you would repay our kindness. Give us whatever you have on hand, and um, you can ask your servants, and you know that this is true. Well, the problem was um, this, uh, this man, this wealthy man, his wealth was his only virtue. This man, whose name was Nabal, was a fool. The name Nabal itself means fool, which, you know, we always want to ask, how in the world does a person acquire the name of fool? Uh, what, what parents would choose to name their son fool? You know, of all the names that my son and daughter-in-law considered for my grandson, I don't think fool was one of them. Perhaps it was a childhood nickname because this man lived up to his name. His name was Fool, and he was a fool in all that he did. Perhaps the name just stuck. But regardless, this man receives the visitors, and they present their request, and, he, and they waited, and he responded foolishly, why, uh, rudely, harshly. And he said, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Yeah, his, his servant's always breaking off. See his self-centered selfishness, his stingy heart. He says, why should I give my bread? My, should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to these men that I don't know where they came from? Get out of my presence. Go. And he sent him away empty-handed. And the messengers returned and they told David, and David was hot. There was a threefold blessing of peace, and there is a threefold response of wrath. Three times we see the word sword. David said, every man strap on his sword. And everyone strapped on their sword. And David strapped on his sword. And they got ready to go and wipe out Nabal and his household. In fact, they keep going, and we see it a little bit later down in uh, verse 21, and David is on the pursuit. He's going to wipe out this Nabal, and he is so angry, he is filled with rage, that he begins to become vulgar in his own dealings. He says, he's grumbling. He says, surely in vain I've guarded this fellow in the wilderness, and nothing was missed. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by the morning I leave so much as one male to all who belongs to him. What David says there is much more vulgar. If you had a King James version of the Bible, you would see this, and you might quite, you might wonder what was what were the translators of the King James doing there? They were accurately representing what David said. He essentially says the the King James says, "God do so, and more also, if I leave one who pisseth against the wall." He's burning with anger. He's vulgar in his response. We have to ask, what happened to David? Chapter 24, this was David who was so restrained. He, he, had, he had Saul in this cave. He could have wiped him out. His men were encouraging him to do so, and he was the one showing restraint. And he said, no, I will, I will not do this. I'm not going to lift up my hand against the Lord's anointed. He's the one that's restraining the anger of his, of his men. But now he's the one that's hot, ready to vent his anger, his wrath, his rage gain vengeance. 
I think there's a few really important things for us to, to note. The first was David in chapter 24 was so focused on the fact that Saul was the Lord's anointed. Saul was a, Saul's a fool and Dabal's a fool, but Saul was the Lord's anointed fool. It was that fear of God as he that kept David from wanting to lift his hand against the Lord's anointed. That's what he says over and over. Um, it's also surprising because uh, David, in chapter 24 and, and all before that, he, we've seen his humility on display. But uh, isn't it true, beloved, that pride runs so deep into our hearts that to be truly humble um, it, it, it takes a while for the Lord to need that humility into us so that the whole of our being is, our, our every impulse is humble. And David's response here is, is full of pride. He wants immediate vengeance. In, in chapter 24, he had said to Saul, he said, who am I? He said, I'm a, I'm a dead dog and I'm a single flea. Why, why are you bothering with me? I'm nothing. But isn't it true that there's a very big difference between saying in humility, I am nothing, I am a dead dog, versus being treated as a dead dog by somebody that you expect to be treated with honor, by, with honor and respect. And I think those things kind of come together in a very important point for us, beloved, and it's the reality that we struggle with in that our heart, we, we live compartmentalized lives. We know, we've probably heard the term. What it means is that we, we have our various contexts of life that are like rooms of our life, and there, these, these, these different contexts provide challenges or barriers to transferring the wisdom from one context to the next. And what I mean by this is we have our context to church. We show up and we praise God. We greet our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a certain vocabulary that we speak with, a certain heart action, certain ways that we think. We go home and it becomes a challenge for us to say things in the same way. It feels awkward. We, we think things a little bit differently. We go to school. We go to work. And all of a sudden our language, our actions, our thought process change. We're one person and yet, somehow we act like very different people in these various contexts. And true godliness is one that is pure across all the contexts of our lives. That is, that is the, the ultimate fruit of sanctification, is that this wisdom and who we are is consistent regardless of where we are. And David is still wrestling with that. As he's, as he's dealing with Saul, he's, he's got it worked out in his heart. This is how I need to respond. But now when this fool of a man insults him, he's ready to kill him. And there's no compartmentalization. And yet God in his grace pursues us and he wants to make us whole. He wants to make us consistently godly across all of our life. And so he pursues after David and he pr presents an opportunity, a means so that there's his, this vengeance is deferred. There was a messenger or one of the servants of Nabal who was there who saw this interaction between Nabal and the messengers. He rushed over to Abigail. Now, Abigail is Nabal's wife, and she is described as being 
wise and discerning and beautiful. And um, this messenger seems to recognize her wisdom in contrast to Nabal's. And he, he comes, he says, ma'am, I think you ought to know. <laughs> David sent some messengers asking for kindness from our master. These men were good to us. They presented a wall around us. We didn't lose anything, but our master railed against them. We're in danger. I think David and his men are probably not going to handle that very well. You ought to do something. I would have said something to Nabal, but you know how this man is. He's unreasonable. He is so worthless. He, nothing can be said to him. And Abigail, the word that's used over and over for how she responds is haste, hurry. She makes haste. She takes action. She wants to quell this issue, defer the wrath, save her household through these actions. So let's take a look at this. This is a this is a, this this Abigail's response presents a very real and important practical application for us who are married, and for those of us who are um, seeking to be married. The the Abigail is held up by our Lord as an example of godliness. Godliness for a wife who's married to a fool. We are uh, blessed to be part of a heritage that firmly holds to the clear biblical instruction that um, the man is given as head over his wife, and the wife is called to submit to her husband as to the Lord, that he is her authority. But in, invariably, the question is, well, what, what about the case where the man is foolish or wicked? And this story is beautiful in that the Lord says, I know that those cases exist, and I will instruct you in how you ought to handle this. The very first thing that we need to pay attention to, we need to ask the question, is um, it, the importance of selecting a wise man as a future husband. Um, Ab the one blemish for Abigail's character, the one thing that we can't seem to understand in the otherwise spotless record is, how did this wise woman become married to this fool? This fool with this reputation. And we don't have the answer to that question. God doesn't tell us that. Our best guess is perhaps an arranged marriage that focused on his one, his, his best characteristic, his pride and his joy, which was his wealth. And ladies, this is important for you to hear. The world tells you to look for a man uh, look for characteristics in a man that you'll spend the rest of your life with uh, in a lot of different characteristics. Um, is he wealthy? Is he successful? Is he attractive? Does he have that great hair, those great eyes? You know, is he, does he have a, a good sense of humor? Is he a man's man? Is he adventuresome? You know, what, whatever it may be. And all those characteristics, none of, none of them in and of themselves are bad. But apart from wisdom, 
godly wisdom in Christ Jesus, they are useless. Apart from godly wisdom in Christ Jesus, such a man will be destructive to the household, destructive to you. I know a woman who married a man who swept her off her feet because of his amazing creative spirit, his ability to dream and to imagine the, the impossible. And she sought to love him and to submit to him, but he was not wise. And his folly ultimately made shipwreck of their marriage, of their family, and ultimately of her faith. My dear sisters, who you select as the man to whom you will covenant in marriage for the rest of your life is a life-altering decision. I urge you to find for yourself a man who is wise in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that the Lord would give you a man who is wise in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your husband will be a blessing to you only to the extent that he lives with wisdom, in godly wisdom in Christ Jesus. Nabal was a fool, though, and Abigail was married to him. The question is, how should a godly woman live with a foolish man? We have to stop for a second and say that not all fool, foolishness is the same. In a very real sense, Every person, every man is a fool in one way or shape or another. We all lack the perfect wisdom of our God. We all fail to live perfectly wisely. But that's not to say that all, wisdom, all foolishness is the same. Nabal is a particular caliber of fool. Psalm 14 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That the, the utter core of of abject folly is a unbelief, a lack of belief in who God is. And Nabal demonstrates that lack of belief, that folly of unbelief in everything that he does. He has no fear of God before his eyes. He has no gratitude or thankfulness to God for all that he has. Everything is his, that he's worked for, that he's all about. He has no love for his neighbor. He's self-absorbed. He's self-indulgent, he's rude, and his folly puts his family in imminent danger. He insults in his folly, he insults the very men that were protecting his men and his wealth. In his folly, he refuses to give provisions to a future king for a feast so that he can feast like a king. And he's willing to anger a small army who is ready to kill him. He has a reputation of a fool. He is known to be stubborn and unyielding. And he practices it consistently. Beloved, that is the folly of unbelief. And whether we're talking about Nabal or any other believer or even you or I, in the midst of our unbelief, it's a question of degree not substance. <laughs> this is the folly of unbelief. And, and Abigail immediately noticed that her, 
her family was, her household was in danger. So how did she respond to it? That's what we have to take a look at. It's remarkable. But we have to begin by what she didn't do. What she didn't do. She didn't excuse it. She didn't seek to hide it. She admitted it. She, took, she owned it. She, was, she recognized it. She wasn't like, she didn't put her head in the sand and just say, well, that's, that's my husband's fault, my husband's problem. She realized the imminent danger to her and her household. Secondly, she didn't seek to reason with her husband. She, her, Nabal had a reputation of being unreasonable, harsh, and unyielding, and she took action. She didn't ask his permission. She, the, the word that is used over and over is haste, hurried. She recognized the danger and was rushing to deal with it. She also didn't separate. She didn't divorce. She knew who this man was, and yet she continued to live with him. In many ways, we, we get the impression that she was his only source of wisdom. And we see that because of how she responded. What she did do, we could simply say that she sought to diffuse the situation that her husband created. She took the initiative to protect her family, to protect her husband by dealing with what her husband did. It's remarkable. The first, what she, it's, she does this in a spirit of humility. She rushes to, she hears, hears of this danger. She rushes to get the provisions. She sends the provisions on the donkeys and she says, go on ahead. And she comes on behind. And when she comes and she sees David and his men, everything she does and says is an image of extreme humility. It says that she got down from her donkey. She fell down on her face. She fell at his feet. And then her speech is coated with humility. Fifteen times, fifteen times, she calls David, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Six times, she refers to herself as your maidservant, your servant. This is a, a humility of her person. She approaches him with a gentle response and humility. But then what she does is shocking. To us, she not only humbled herself, she confessed her sin. First words out of her mouth. On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. How in the world could Abigail even say that? Nabal did all the, all the, the response. On me alone. She says, please, please let me speak. Hear the words of my mouth. Let not, this, let, let not the Lord re regard this worthless fellow Nabal. I did not see the young men of my Lord. I think what she's saying is this. I know who this man is. Forgive me for not being a wise influence to my foolish husband. I know how he is whether it was a soft answer to dispel his response. I wasn't there to say, Nabal, come on, man. These men protected us. Or just a, a wise look, a pained look of, really? That's how you're going to talk to these men? Ladies, your husbands are affected by your words. 
and by your looks. You influence them. And she's, she's assuming guilt for this outburst from her husband because she wasn't there to help condition him in wisdom. She not only took, takes ownership of this, she doesn't deny it, she takes ownership, but she also seeks to make restitution. That's what she did when she gathered all the provisions. Nambal had d- denied David and his men food, and what was she doing? She was preparing this, the, all these provisions and sending them. Now, the, 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 the numbers sound impressive, but they really weren't enough for a feast. She was in haste preparing this to, to diffuse the situation, to say, here, here, take, accept this gift, please. It's, it's, it's not everything you need, but it's something. This is what we have on hand. And then she asked for forgiveness. Now her, her confession and her restitution demonstrate that it was a sincere forgive, ask, request for forgiveness, but we have to actually ask for forgiveness. We actually have to say the words. He says, please forgive. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. But then finally, she appeals to David's godliness. She appeals to his godliness, and she says, you know, the Lord is going to make you a sure house. The Lord, the Lord is, the Lord is going to protect you. The Lord is going to avenge your enemies. And notice what she begins to do. She's dealing with another man, another fool in this story. Because David's got his own folly of unbelief. David has forgotten who he is in the Lord. He's forgotten that the Lord is going to avenge him, and he's ready to carry out his own vengeance. And now this wise woman is appealing to David in her wisdom, saying, my Lord, the Lord will avenge you. Please don't put this blood on your own hands. Don't make yourself guilty. Let the Lord avenge you. And and this beautiful, she, she's, so, she's so wise, she's so shrewd. She remembers who David is, and she says, as long as you are within, clean to the Lord, you will be in the bundle of the living. He will keep you close within him. But your enemies, like you remember Goliath? He will, he will put you in the hollow of a sling and sling them out. Remember what God did for you. Remember what God has promised for you. And so please forgive Please forgive. Relent. And she's also hopeful. She's hopeful. She says, the, the Lord has restrained you. This is in verse 26. As your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt, she knows that she's going to stop this onslaught through her wisdom and her hopefulness. And of course, she does. And David responds with a threefold blessing. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hands. Ladies, this is, this is the pattern of godly womanhood. Submission And humility is not weak. It is very strong. This woman saved her household and restrained the future king from blood guilt. You have tremendous influence 
with your men. Be wise. Pray for your men that they would grow in wisdom, that they would be a blessing to you, and pray that you would have the wisdom of Abigail, the discernment to be able to influence for the good. And men, this is what we should be praying for. This is, this is what we ought to be insisting on for our wives. I pray this very thing for my wife, that she would be wise. She would be wise like Abigail when I am a fool, because you and I know we have our moments of folly. We have our moments of rage like, like David, and we have our just absolute self-indulgent selfishness like Nabal, where we just forget who we are, and we need the wisdom of our wives to speak into that. A gentle answer, even without a word, as Peter said. Pray for that. Encourage your wives to participate in the means of grace that God has given. She will be wise insofar as she grows in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The preaching of the word, the ministry of the word, the sacraments, prayer, the fellowship of the saints. Don't just encourage it. Insist upon it. She will help you. She will be a helper suitable for you in wisdom. Help for times of need. And, and, and brothers, as, as you do, understand this, you are praying, if you pray for your wives to grow in wisdom, you are praying for your own blessing. Proverbs 31, woman, an excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. That's what Abigail was for Nabal. He had no lack of gain. She did him good all the days of his life. And if, if that for Nabal, how much more for you and for me? Well, she was, the Lord used Abigail to defer David's wrath and vengeance. But then there's an ultimate rewarding of action. This story ends on a, on a happy note. Well, for most people, um, the actions of those within this uh, narrative come to a conclusion. Uh, David says, I will grant your request. Thank you for restraining me. Go on your way. Go in peace. And, and Abigail went home, and she found her husband there, drunk out of his mind, partying like a king, and in her wisdom said, I'm not going to even bother with this right now. He's drunk. It would not be a productive conversation. And she let him be. But then the next morning... She told him, when, said, when the wine had gone out of him, she told him everything. And this man who had a hard heart now became, his heart died within him and he became like a stone. He was rewarded for his wickedness and his folly and he ultimately died. But David was rewarded for his restraint. David learned a valuable lesson he was reminded of God's faithfulness to his promises. He held back his own hand. He did not lift up his own hand to exact vengeance, and yet the Lord did it. And David rejoiced, and he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult that I received from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. And you and I know that David wasn't just rejoicing about Nabal, the insult that he had there. David's heart was focused on the greater concern of, his, of Saul's pursuit 
And while that day has yet to come, David could rest in the fact knowing that God's promises are sure because God had given him a glimpse, even through this fool, the death of this fool, that God would be faithful to bring justice and vengeance. And Abigail was rewarded. This woman who had exhibited long suffering and wisdom while living with the fool of man now was asked by David to become his wife. But uh, unlike David, who struggled with a holistic humility, we see in Abigail that she was humble to the core. She was humble in the moment of affliction, but now even in the moment of exaltation. These messengers come and tell Abigail, hey, David wants to be your wife. She gets up and she bows to the ground. She says the most humble thing that a woman could say, your servant will wash the feet of my Lord's servants. That's humility, brothers and sisters. And she came and she became his wife. And beloved, if we take this story, we hold it up like a jewel and we turn it just a bit, we can see just the beauty of the gospel of grace in it. We are married to the folly of this world by nature It is a folly that is wicked and destructive and has incited the very wrath of God, a a wrath that is coming and is sure to bring death and destruction. But unlike Abigail, we we don't leave it. We're wooed by it. We're seduced by it. We don't go and we convince God, well, God, you, you should convince me. No, the beauty of the gospel is that God sent his son, not to come in wrath, but to come in grace and in love. The Son of, Man, the son of God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him he might, the world might be saved. He came because of God's love, not because of God's wrath. Yes, to satisfy the wrath of God, but not because of the wrath of God. And that king comes to woo us, by his love, to reveal his love, to save us by his love. And the message of the gospel is cling to him. Come and bow before him in faith to receive him as king and Lord, to say, you are my Lord and king. To confess, on me and me alone is the guilt. It is my sin that drove you to the cross. My sin that you came. My sin that instigates the wrath of God. And to make humble forgiveness. Ask, beg for forgiveness. Oh, Father, please forgive me because of the faithfulness of your Son. But what about restitution? Abigail had to make restitution, or she sought to make restitution to dispel the wrath of David. Well, in one very real sense, there is no more restitution to be made. Jesus Christ has perfectly paid the payment to satisfy the wrath of God. That was what the cross was. He took our sins on his body and was killed, slaughtered publicly as a demonstration of God's wrath being poured out. And yet, in view of God's mercy to you and to me, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. We were bought with a price. We were to honor him with our bodies. It's not restitution. 
so that we can assuage God's wrath. It has been satisfied, but because we have been freed, that is how we must live. That is the only only response for us. Oh, beloved, do you know Do you know this grace? Do you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who came for you in the midst of God's wrath to save you from God's wrath? Have you learned to cry out like like Abigail, when the Lord has vindicated you, Lord Jesus, and you come in your glory, please remember me. Remember your servant. Let me live for you until that day. Oh, beloved, that is the, the hope of the gospel and the promises for all who bow the knee to Christ and live in him, he will surely remember you. He will surely forgive you. You will be his forever and ever, not blessed once or twice or three times with every spiritual blessing for all eternity with far greater blessing than you could ever ask or imagine. Oh, beloved, this is the the love of our God. This is the love of our King who came for us. Trust in him. Accept his love. For in him there is true hope. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the love that you have shown us by revealing your love and your mercy to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us a way to escape your wrath that we deserve. Oh Lord, give us the strength to grab hold of Christ, to live as living sacrifices. Help us to be wise in Christ and to reveal the love of Christ through the way that we live and the way that we speak in every aspect of our lives. We praise you and we adore you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.